Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The first Thanksgiving in America is said to have been celebrated by the pilgrims after their first harvest here in the New World in October of 1621. The feast lasted for three days, and it was attended by 90 Native American Wanapanoag people and 53 survivors of the Mayflower. Now Thanksgiving was made into a national holiday and moved to Thursday, November 26th during the Civil War in an attempt by Abraham Lincoln to unify the nation during the war of Southern aggression. Well, they weren't unified. So we'll have a meal together. Maybe that'll help. And then the feast was moved to the fourth Thursday of November by FDR in 1942, all in an effort to extend the Christmas shopping season. <laughs> How American of us. While the date and the focus of the holiday has transitioned over the years, Eating for three days has remained an essential component <laughs> of its observance. And I've been in training. The original day of Thanksgiving was celebrated as a way to give thanks and share from the harvest that, uh, that they had just brought in, that the pilgrims had just brought in. A harvest they would not have been able to reap if it had not been for God's provision as well as the help of, of the Wanapanoag people who had been farming and living on Cape Cod for generations before the Mayflower showed up. Our reading this morning from the prophet Isaiah is about a different type of harvest. It's from a vineyard which I'm not sure would have been a priority for those Puritan Mayflower pilgrims during their first harvest here in the New World. Isaiah is perhaps the most prolific and well-known prophet in the Old Testament, and writings that are attributed to him seem to span for generations. But our reading this morning comes from about the same time that the prophet Hosea was speaking in the northern kingdom of Israel. About the mid-8th century BC, Hosea was speaking in to the northern kingdom of Israel, and Isaiah was speaking to the southern kingdom of Judah. So they're contemporaries. They're both prophets at the same time, both prophets for the same God, just speaking in very different contexts. Now the parable that is told in chapter 5 begins as a love song, a song that is sung by the friend of the groom at his friend's wedding ceremony. The song uses the imagery of a vineyard to illustrate his friend's relationship, which is probably something we wouldn't do so much these days. We might compare a relationship to a fine wine, the product of a vineyard, that only gets better with age. Right, Robin? <laughs> but the characters of the parable change quickly. From being this newlywed couple to then it being about God and Israel. And this isn't the only place in the scriptures where the image of a vineyard is used to describe Israel. 
The prophet describes the owner's care of his vineyard, which has been planted upon a very fertile hill. Maybe the best ground for planting a vineyard. And the owner, God, carefully, passionately, and lovingly tends to the vineyard. To ensure that the vineyard flourishes and grows the delicious fruit that he's anticipating. And then God builds a watchtower in the vineyard so he could keep an eye upon and protect his vineyard. Then, and even though God had prepared, then God prepared for the harvest that he was expecting. He, he built a wine vat in, in expectation for all of these grapes that the vineyard was going to produce for the, for the grape crush and the wine that was to come. However, this love song quickly turns from the hope of the harvest to the reality of the world into which Isaiah is singing. Even though the vineyard owner loved and cared for and nurtured the vines, those vines wielded, yielded wild grapes. The term suggests that they were unusable and that they omitted a rancid odor. So they were not good for anything. And not only that, they stunk. They stunk so bad that anybody who got near those grapes understood that they were rotten, good for nothing. Israel then encourages, Isaiah then encourages his hearers to indict themselves and ourselves without realizing we are doing so when he asks, what more was there to do for my vineyard than I have done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? The audience would have certainly sympathized with Isaiah and indicted the vineyard that had been given everything it needed to produce a bountiful harvest as God had given to Israel. But yet it produced wild grapes instead. So as a result, there were consequences. God removed his hedge of protection from the vineyard and he allowed it to suffer for its lack of production. There were consequences for Israel. The Babylonians came and they conquered Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple. Now this part of, of the reading reminds me of the story of the Garden of Eden where God had created the garden and in it, everything in perfect harmony, like planting a vineyard. And God gave the man and the woman everything they needed to be fruitful and multiply everything they needed to produce good fruit. But instead of producing good grapes that created great wine, the people went wild. They did. We did the one thing that God told them and us not to do. And they and we suffer the consequences. You see, God can no longer protect the man and the woman from themselves. And the same is or was true of us. That is, until that shoot from the stump of Jesse came unexpectedly into the world. When Isaiah says in chapter 11 that a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse, it could be a reference to the dead appearance of the line of Jesse and the Israelites of a and the Israelites as a people. Especially after Jerusalem had been conquered and the temple had been destroyed, there appeared to be nothing left, merely a stump. 
They are, after all, once again, a people without a home, whose existence and identity is not grounded any longer in a location, but only in their relationship with Yahweh. They only exist as a nation, as we would understand it, in the minds of those people who'd been chosen, because they had no place, no home, no presence in the world. Even their temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians. They became a people who were in exile and captivity. And they would not come to get back together as a nation until the Persians conquered the Babylonians and allowed them to return to Jerusalem and to try to rebuild. You see, they were like a tree that had been cut down. And all that remains of it is a stump. They were like a vineyard that has been trampled and overtaken with, with briars and thorns. They were like that first man and woman who were sent out of the garden, suffering their consequence. And when it looked like they were dead, and they could bear no good fruit, when it looked like they were nothing but a memory of what might have been, then God introduces a shoot of new life. And this new life doesn't just spring up from the ground somewhere, anywhere, random, unattached from the past. No, it comes out of the past. Out of this seemingly dead stump of Jesse. It comes not from David, but from David's line, from where King David had come from. It comes from his father, Jesse. Now, if you or I had a stump in our yard, we might put a flower pot on it or do something to make it not so obvious that we had a stump in our yard. Or we might call somebody to come out and to grind that stump so that all evidence that it had ever existed was no longer there. No evidence that that stump or the tree that it had supported had ever existed. But Yahweh, Yahweh creates new life from a dead stump. And by doing so, God encourages us as people to not only remember the tree that it once had existed, but also to remember the circumstances that led that tree to becoming a stump. For that is what the world was like when this shoot was sent, when God sent God's one and only son, born of the line of Jesse to bring new life, where things appeared to be dead, where things appeared to be beyond repair, where things appeared to, to, to need to be destroyed and all evidence hidden as though it had never existed. Next Sunday is Christ the King Sunday. It's the last Sunday in the liturgical church year and it serves as a transition from the season after Pentecost, those 25 weeks that I just talked about us enjoying, into the season of Advent. The seasons after, the Sundays after Pentecost is a season that is characterized by growth, much like a harvest or a vineyard or a garden. Growth. Growth in our knowledge of God as creator. Growth in our faith in Jesus as Messiah. Growth in our trust in the leading of the Holy Spirit in our life together. That season of growth prepares us to wait, 
This time of waiting to celebrate Jesus as the king that he was born to be. The next king from the line of David, the son of Jesse, that the Israelites were waiting for, the king who would finally deliver God's people from our bondage to sin and death. And Jesus did come as king. He came, but not in the way that the people expected. Instead of coming as a mighty warrior, he came as the prince of peace. Jesus came to serve, not to be served, so that his people would serve others as we have been served ourselves. Jesus came to establish this kingdom that he planted upon the fertile hill, the kingdom of God where justice and righteousness finally overcome bloodshed and tears. Where the lion will not lie in wait for the lamb, but where the lion will lay in peace with the lamb. Jesus came to establish a kingdom where peace will not be fought over and imposed upon others, but peace will be given and received as a gift that it is meant to be. As we prepare to celebrate Jesus coming again, we give thanks that he has already come. He has come to tend the vineyard, to reestablish the garden of God's kingdom here on earth, and he has entrusted it to our care and stewardship. So during this week of Thanksgiving, as we get ready to eat, we acknowledge and give thanks to God for the bounty of the harvest that we have received. Somebody gave me an apple from their tree after the first service this morning from their harvest. And we commit to care for and tend the garden that has been entrusted to our care. That is the kingdom of God here on earth. By becoming the good fruit that bears witness, bears witness to the stump, to the shoot, and even the tree from which we have grown. We remember and give thanks for the gift of life and the abundance of the harvest around us. And in our thanksgiving, let us be loving and generous to others as God has been loving and generous with us. Amen.